I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. This podcast is based in conversations that are willing to go off on a rabbit trail or two in order to find those aha moments. Those times when someone is able to say something in a way that brings increased clarity. Now, I'm an educator, so much of our conversations will have that as the end goal. How can the things that we are talking about help us to dive deeper into educational practices. Thanks for tuning in. Our guest is Dr. Monica Byrne. Monica is a former classroom teacher. She's an author, speaker, and curriculum and ed tech consultant. She also has a super helpful website, classtechtips.com, which if you go to, you'll get plenty of ideas on how to become a tech savvy teacher. Monica, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? I am great. Thank you. Very excited to be on the podcast with you today. Great. So I want to go back in time a bit to your beginning in education. So you started teaching in New York City. That sounds super exciting to me. Uh, Do you have any lasting stories from your beginning years of teaching to get this podcast started? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in New York on Long Island, so about an hour and a half from the city, but went away for school and then came back to New York and got a position teaching fifth grade in New York City. And so starting off in a very traditional public school and then that same school, we were able to receive magnet funding within the time that I was there. And we became a magnet school for environmental stewardship. So it was really a wonderful experience. I often tell what I call a story of the worms of having a composting bin in one corner of the classroom and then an iPad cart in another corner of the classroom. You're trying to find the balance between uh, the best of both worlds, if you will. Uh, Were you able to combine the worms with the iPad uh, work that you were doing? Yeah, I mean, with um, without putting any banana peels or apple cores in the <laughs> iPad cart, you know, so we were able to do a lot of research and creation on the devices, trying things out pretty early on. So that was in the 2011, 2012-ish uh, timeframe. And so it was really an interesting experience to go from, you know, chalk and a chalkboard, overhead projector, transparencies, you know, words we only find, you know, in crossword puzzles, at least on my, you know, um, in my like day-to-day vocabulary. So that was, it was a big shift in all of our thinking. And it was a really special time to um, be in that space pretty early on when everything just felt very, very new. And that's really how, you know, I built out some of my networks was trying to find other people who are interested and excited in ed tech too. I definitely want to hear more about that, but I have to ask you about the worms first. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I recently had a conversation with my daughters. They wanted a worm farm in the the basement. 
and, and I was all excited to get it rolling and for them to experience the composting that comes from that and, and so forth. But my wife sort of put a pause on that and, and told me we weren't allowed to do that. She heard uh, some horror stories of the worms getting out of the worm bin. And, <laughs> and sort of like, so uh, first of all, there might be some people really interested listening. Yeah. Uh, what was that like? We'll get into technology and all, but I'm super interested in the worms for now. Oh, for sure. I could talk about composting and all that <laughs> sort of stuff, you know, all the time. Um, so I love it. Yeah. So we started off with like a bin that kind of looks like a Rubbermaid bin that you would put, um, you know, stuff in your basement or, or storage, right? And so there's special ones that they make that have the vents on the side. It's kind of low tech. You know, we just filled it up with some um, newspaper clippings and some worms that I literally ordered from Amazon and had delivered to my school because mm-hmm. there was no, you know, bait and tackle situation um, near near where I was teaching. And so that was great. But then we upgraded to a more serious system where it was circular trays that you would rotate. And I was a little cautious at first because I taught in the city. And so, you know, sometimes there would be visitors in our classroom. Um, you know, I would come in the morning and kind of just bang things around, you know, um, to scare everyone away. But we um, never had any bugs. We never had any increased issues uh, with mice or any kind of crawlers. There were a couple times when there were worms on the floor. So maybe the jumping worm situation is not... Um, is not, you know, a a myth. Like that could have been a little bit of a thing that was happening, but I'll tell you that it did not smell. You know, I really thought that would be an issue and so much so that it didn't smell that we went to the Central Park Zoo on a field trip. Um, one of the years when I was doing composting and we walked into, I guess it was kind of like a rainforesty exhibit or wherever, you know, that sort of ecosystem (laughs) we were in. And so we walked in and it's, it smelled like that, like fresh, like humid, like moist sort of air um, that you would imagine maybe a rainforest feeling like or smelling like. And one of my girls turned and said to me, she's like, this smells just like the compost bin <laughs> because it had this like fresh, moist, like soil smell to it. So that's what I always think of with the smell, that it really was not uh, not an issue. You probably could overdo it um, if you put too much in it at once. But I think composting is such a great thing. Um if you have some outdoor space, that's probably ideal. I know I am in a city um, still, so sometimes I'll put some scraps like in the freezer or something, and then there's community composting not that far mm-hmm. from me. Yeah, that's great. And it's great that you brought hands-on learning into the classroom. And and I can only imagine um, the engagement that you experienced and the educational growth that your students experienced as a result of that project. That's That's wonderful. It's also really interesting that you went from one year without the technology and the next year you got the iPads into your classroom through that through that grant. Mm-hmm. In what ways did you see that transform the learning experience for your students? You know, it was not like a magical delivery, which is somehow <laughs> sometimes how I think, you know, we position it. We got these iPads. This is before, you know, Apple Classroom or Apple Configurator or any of those sort of things. So like really early on. And so for me, it was a big learning process of, you know, if we're typing up those persuasive essays, you know, what's the difference here, (laughs) right? What's the Mm -hmm. value add if you're emailing me your work when you could have just handed it to me, right? So, you know, it's really became a big shift in thinking and that's where the task before apps phrase, it's the title of one of my books. um, That's where that really came from. You know, what is the value add? What's the purpose here? What's the activity? What is that objective that we're really trying to focus on and how can the technology provide that extra access for kids? 
kids. I had students who were not very confident readers and writers. So say, you know, we come back from lunch, we jump into math stuff. That was a happy time for them. And the minute I said, you know, let's explain our thinking and let's write mm-hmm. a couple of sentences about the steps you yeah. took. It was just like, oh, not this part of the day. Right. And so <laughs> That was something where we use the iPads to have kids screencast. So draw the different types of triangles and tell me all the things you know. You know, if you're hung up on spelling equilateral, like no big deal. That's not what we're here for, right? I want to hear you talk about this and share what you've learned. So that was really the big piece was just the increased access to content and resources. I was using QR codes really early on to support differentiation and terms of the activities and and things that were getting in kids' hands, because that was a little bit before um, there was a Google Classroom or LMS <laughs> to, to more easily distribute resources to kids. And so really just rethinking both the differentiation and the access and the types of products students would create. And that really came into formative assessment routines as well. Jumping off of that tasks before apps, I want to talk for a minute about the main mission, really your mission, how you've articulated it, is to help educators place the tasks before apps and promote deeper learning with technology. First, what a great mission. It's succinct, it's clear, and I'm sure it's super helpful for all the teachers uh, that you're helping. But I just want to talk about that a little bit more. Um, You mentioned deeper learning, and I've become a bit obsessed with deeper learning of late, and I would like to talk about that with you for a little bit. When you're thinking about deeper learning, what does that mean? For me, it really means this idea of going beyond that at surface level, right? So having an opportunity for kids to really practice their critical thinking skills, getting creative, synthesizing information from a variety of sources, as opposed to simply sharing a fact or two that they've learned and really pulling things together to create something that is new, you know, that didn't exist before. It's not to say that they've necessarily discovered something brand Mm -hmm. new, right? Or named a new species or anything like that but more about getting information from lots of places and creating a product that is unique to them. Hmm. So if you went into a classroom, what, if you could give an example or two, like what would deeper learning look like? So having students say, we'll come back to that persuasive essay example, Mm -hmm. right? So just the type it up situation is not really what, you know, we're going for. It's more about having kids think deeply about those ELA skills. So how do I hook um, my reader or listener might be something that they bring into a conversation with someone that they are, you know, creating a public service announcement. So they've done some research. They're looking to see what other types of examples are out there. They're looking for data around the topic and they're pulling it together into a video format. And part of that might include as well, you know, sometimes easier said than done in different spaces, but having an audience, you know, that's built in for that. So it could be a more local, you know, in the four walls of our classroom or in our virtual classroom, or it might be more of a connection with a local entity that's craving that type of PSAs to show, you know, on their YouTube channel. So expanding the audience for students, I think, is one big part of it. Having kids be able to work with in partnership with others that are maybe nearby or maybe far apart and have them create something that, you know, we in the past would say like tangible, like hold it in your hand, glitter and glue, right? But that also translates to the file or the thing that they've uploaded or published in an online space as well. It's really interesting um, thinking about the audience as as one of the primary uh, points. I don't think people often do that. 
and I, I think it is essential. Why why do you list that as one of the top things that, that makes learning go deeper? Well, having and setting that purpose for students, I think is really important because it provides an authentic experience for them. They have something that they're working on, a mission, someone who's going to see and celebrate and maybe even impact and affect in some sort of change way, right? Changing their opinion, changing how well they understand something, changing someone's perspective on the world. So just like anytime we have a purpose for anything that we do, you know, we could be building a deck and we have a purpose and an audience for that. You know, we could be writing an email or a letter to someone and we have a purpose for that too. That's an authentic experience. So the more that we can root things in something that, you know, has a purpose, not just for us as an educator or facilitator, but that students have identified. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of people diving into inquiry work, thinking about project-based learning. I was talking Mm -hmm. to um, a friend the other day, um, who a former colleague actually, who is describing some of the things she's doing with students with a local kind of cleanup, right? They're bought in. This is their neighborhood. You know, it changes the interaction within the space and the conversations they're having because it is so much more personal for them. Still thinking about that audience piece. I'm just super interested in that. And I know you've shared some examples, but have you seen something where teachers have really highlighted the necessity of audience for their students and that project or that activity has really excited you? Do you remember anything like that? Yeah. So even though I've been out of the classroom for a few years, I typically am on the road or spending time in other people's classrooms or with different organizations that way. And just this past school year, I was working with a school that I've um, had a chance to work with for several years, actually. But this past school year, I was working with a group of second graders and their teacher was really excited about having kids make and create something. But she also wanted to root it in some things that she knew were important to them. And they were exploring things around kindness and SEL topics. And so the students, I had them into Book Creator. So love Book Creator. I've done some work with their team and they're just so lovely and their tool and platform is really powerful. And so the kids were in there publishing books and telling stories and they knew that not only was the person next to them part of their audience, but that they could take a peek in and look at each other's books. And they ended up publishing it their whole library and it went up on their school website. That was kind of the the end goal for it was to have something that would be more public facing and celebratory that way. So for as much as having an audience could include um, having students create, you know, collages or posters that they put on a class Instagram or that they partner with a national park or something to put on their feed, you know, that could be part of it, but it doesn't have to be as scary if someone's kind of going for their first go of it. You know, there's lots of ways to connect with other classrooms. If you're looking for a student partnerships or student audiences. Flipgrid and their grid pals is a really great way to make connections. But even something like uh, building off a relationship from a mystery Skype might be part of it. But I think one of the powerful things about audience that kind of takes it even, you know, in a different direction than the student component, because I think the student component and the buy-in and the authenticity is really clear. But another important thing I think to consider, you know, is 
bringing other people into a school community. And so if you are able to partner with that local business that might not have kids in the school district, or you're able to partner with a local person who's making decisions that impact everyone in the school, you know, you're changing their perspective. You're helping them better understand what goes on in a school by kind of giving them that inside look too. So I think there's a real big aspect for community buy-in that shouldn't be ignored. It might not be your primary reason, right? Just to get other people to know about the school or support the school board uh, or the Mm -hmm. next budget proposal or anything like that. But I think that there's those secondary pieces that would be silly to ignore that can really be an outcome of expanding audience as well. I, I totally agree that that the audience, right? You're you're developing the audience, but then you're also including the stakeholders within the educational experience. And a, a lot of times, these stakeholders that you talk about, those businesses are are ignored or or they're not um, brought into the into the school. And and many of them have have gifts and talents that they would love to share and be a part of the school community. So that's great that you um that you're pointing that out. Hopefully people listening are, are taking note and they're going to reach out to some of those local businesses and other local stakeholders. Um, another part of your mission is tasks before apps. Um, you also have a title, give a shout out to tasks before apps, designing rigorous learning in a tech rich classroom. So tasks before apps. Now that's a mighty task. Uh, that's difficult for me to do as well in this distracted world. How do you go about doing that? Yeah. So with the book, the book is really all about placing those learning goals front and center. And in the book, there's chapters on creation in the classroom and creativity, collaboration and having kids working together, as well as curiosity. So having kids go out and explore their world in in different places. And so just this week, um, yesterday and the day before, I was working with a school in Texas. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to be on site with them as we had planned, although it's pretty been Texas hot here in New Jersey. So um, I got the same weather pattern, I think, as if I had been out there with them. And so we were doing some work virtually this week instead. And I was able to, you know, go through this idea and look at some things alongside them. And we really focused in on the creation part together. Um, we really went through what does it look like when we use an open-ended creation tool. If you have an opportunity to bring kids into this blank canvas or space, if you're making movies, if you're having them record a podcast episode, there's no one way to do it. You know, you might have a tool like Spark Video. I love the Spark tools. I've done some work with their team too, and they're just so um, so great and powerful and free and all the things, right? Which is why they kind of had been at the top of my list before I even connected with their team. And so with that one, you know, it's not a movie making tool for a math tutorial or a book trailer tool. It's not a tool that you use for a science lab report, but you could use it for all of those things. And so that's really what we talked about with the group yesterday. And I talk about in the book and often when I come in, and have a task before apps conversation with a group. Mm-hmm. It's really about leveraging the power of those open-ended tools and having kids in a space where they can make the most of audio and text and icons and images and pull that all together to tell the story of their learning, you know, no matter what it might be in terms of the topic or the content. And what I like about those tools, and yesterday was a day 
where it was a, you know, K-12 audience, cross-curricular audience, right? Like, yeah, we could really get into the weeds with talking about how you could use this for reading responses, but it also lends itself really well to that casting a wide net. And so especially as we are looking, you know, into the fall of remote learning and hybrid learning and classroom learning that might anticipate switching to remote learning at one point or another throughout the school year, you know, having those kind of tools in your tool belt lend itself well to a variety of tasks. So I think it also is a compelling thing to, to think about as teachers are planning and trying to make the most of their time with students, you know, giving them a space where they essentially could choose their own adventure, but that they also have structure and guidance and support as needed. Yeah, it's great that you start off um, with values first, values like uh, creation. Now, you've mentioned a couple apps. Uh, you gave uh, Book Creator. You've mentioned a couple others. What are some of the best, you know, because people want good tools, right? Mm-hmm. What are some of the best tools or apps that you would recommend Um that can help utilize some of these uh, deeper values? Yeah. So first, I would say top of the list are the tools for me that fall in the open-ended creation tool. So blank canvas, use it for lots of things, right? So book creator for sure, um, Spark video and Spark page and Spark post uh, for sure. Really love that you can do so much within that suite. And those ones are are free and and just fantastic. I also really love Flipgrid. Um, I have a podcast called The Easy Ed Tech podcast, and I just recorded an interview that'll go out in August um, with Ann Cosma from Flipgrid, and she invited in a teacher who I hadn't gotten a chance to met before um, called, his name is Mike Muhammad, and he talked about Flipgrid shorts, which you can have, um, you can make instructional videos in there, and of course, with Flipgrid, you can use it to have kids do asynchronous and, you know, synchronous types of responses, so I'm really looking for things when I'm, you know, on the hunt that are flexible, that you can use in lots of different ways, that have easy access for kids, you know, in addition to all of the other things in terms of just privacy and, and mm-hmm. feeling compatible on different devices. Yeah. So for teachers, yeah, that that list was super helpful. And it was also helpful that you kept it concise uh, <laughs> because it can get overwhelming, right? Yeah. So, so what would you say, right? Uh, and you've already hit on this a little bit, but I want to hit on it again. What would you say to teachers that are getting overwhelmed by all of these new tech tools? There are so many out there. And I know sometimes, you know, I'm guilty of making the space a little noisy when I come along with something (laughs) that I love or that I share out and to, and especially, you know, this spring when there were a lot of companies that were, you know, opening up their tools for wider access, you know, it became pretty noisy, pretty fast. And so, you know, that was a great and wonderful thing in a way, right? But what I typically say, and I, I almost always use this, um, this metaphor when I start a presentation that has a number in the title. So I often go to conferences and I'm doing presentations like 15 this or 24 this, you know, and it's great because I'm, we're all the same way where we click on those things because we know that on that list of whatever it might be, two of those things might be useful, right? So we all come in with that mindset of trying to get something valuable from a list like that. But what I typically tell people is, 
you know, you don't want all of the tools in your tool belt. Think of a physical tool belt that was around your waist. It's going to be too heavy. If you have everything in it, it's going to hit the floor and you won't be able to reach anything anyway. So you really just want to have, you know, your go-to tools. And that's why the open-ended tools or the ones that can be used for formative assessment in a variety of ways are always going to be top of my list. Although someone might come along and ask me a question that's really specific, like, oh, what about this? And, you know, that's where some of the smaller tools have so much... And I don't mean smaller in the sense of, you know, their power, but smaller maybe in the sense of their niche or, or what they accomplish, right? So it's good mm-hmm. to know about those. And I try hard to keep up to date and I like sharing them and all of that because, you know, all of us fall into the you don't know what you don't know categories. So, you know, if you didn't know that was out there, you might not even know that was a problem you were facing, right? So I try and remind people of that tool belt um, analogy because it helps me visualize that I don't want to be overwhelmed. It's not a more the merrier situation. Um, I want to really focus in and prioritize on quality versus quantity. And I think with remote learning being front of mind, you know, you don't want to overwhelm children or families or teachers if you are coaching and supporting your colleagues with too many things because you're just not going to have the quality interactions that you you would want. Yeah, that that tool belt analogy is helpful for me too. Just sitting here talking to you, I'm like, yes, the the belt is on. How many tools can you fit in that? You know, it's not endless, so you, you have to sort of pick and choose. That's really helpful. Um, and you did mention formative assessments, so I can give a shout out to your other book, Formative <laughs> Tech: Meaningful, Sustainable, and Scalable Formative Assessment with Technology. Um, and you've brought that up another time in our conversation. Formative assessments with technology. Why are formative assessments important in the learning process? Yeah. So, I mean, taking technology out of the equation, like pre-iPad, right, or pre-Chromebook, we know that formative assessment is crucial. Um, There's so much research that supports that just in terms of the frequency and the type and the timely feedback and all of those important things. And so it's crucial to know where kids are. And you might have kids right in front of you in a classroom and you're not quite sure where they are in terms of their understanding of a topic. And so what I love about the use of technology is, yes, the ease and efficiency might be there for organizing information and collecting data. And I know sometimes, you know, we think of substitution as being kind of dismissive, right? And so I always like to pause and say, well, if I save time, you know, if there's some ease and efficiency here, I can dedicate my time to better planning and more strategic interventions, right? So there's a value add there that I don't want to be dismissive of by any means, right? So it helps us work um, smarter, not harder. That's one piece when it comes to analyzing and collecting data. But then we also get to hear from more students, right? I gave the Flipgrid example you have a student who might not be able to tell you um, by raising their hand what it is that they're struggling with that might be in a classroom where they don't feel confident for sharing, where there's a teacher that might not be able to hear from everyone. And now they have this asynchronous way for a student to pose a question or provide a response. And you have your kids who may struggle to type their answer or write their response down, and now they have a way to talk about it. So that's an option. But then for as much as we know, you know, kids might want to watch TikTok videos, they might not want to be on video or on camera. So you can also differentiate with the way that you are collecting information, giving kids audio options, letting them type that answer if that feels better for them. So that is a big piece too of just leveling the playing field to hear from more kids and hear more quality responses. 
beyond just the quick quiz that's easy to grade with a computer. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of directions to take it in. And that's why I think, you know, it's it's something that comes up in my conversations with educators a lot when we say, you know, why should I think about technology? Why should I um, make a commitment to learning this new thing or bringing in a new routine? And it really the value is, is huge um, when it comes to formative assessment. Before we move on in our conversation, could you give maybe one more example um, of a good formative assessment and then maybe connect an app or a tool that maybe you've already talked about? But just just for our listeners, as they're sitting and listening to you talk and give some examples, I think it might be helpful if they got just a, a little bit more. Yeah. So taking the tech out of the equation mm-hmm. at first, right? So with formative assessment in general, you need to know what you're looking for. And so having that success criteria right from the start is crucial um, because you might have your objective and you're teaching towards this big idea. But when you go to look for something, right, we don't want to just say to a student, what did you learn today, right? Like Mm -hmm. we want to give them a very purposeful type of question or opportunity to share something, especially if there is a more open-ended prompt. We want to look for something. So if I'm teaching and I'm asking students to show me how they... um, added, you know, two different fractions or subtracted two fractions or whatever it might be. And I asking them to show me what they did. And I want to hear them use terms like parts and whole and numerator and denominator as they go through the process. That might be a part of my success criteria for that student. And so to bring the tech in to the equation, right? You know, if I give a multiple choice test and that's, you know, something I made with Google Forms, you know, that's one way to see if I can get a quick answer. But if I'm able to have students create a screencast. Maybe they use something like explain everything. They could use Flipgrid. They could even just record their voice as they are on a scratch pad or snap a picture. And if I can hear them, right, explain that process to me, and I'm using technology to watch them go through the process and hear from everyone in their 30-second clip, right? I'm going to get much better information than if I just collect a whole bunch of papers and never really hear from anyone and, and aren't quite sure where the breakdown is, right? So if my goal is to measure that and to act on that data, I really need to have high-quality information. And so, you know, there's no point in collecting data that you're not going to use, right? It's just an mm-hmm. exercise at that point. And so having that built in so you are getting those quality responses. A big part of that is really knowing what you're looking for from the beginning so that you can look at that information and act on it. And, you know, I think that's something we sometimes take for granted if we're not planning with a lot of purpose and a lot of thought. Yeah, that's a, that's a great reminder to start with the purpose, to start with the why. Monica, this has been great chatting with you and learning uh, from you. But We're getting to the end of our conversation. Before we do, who do you want to give a shout out to? Well, I would have to say, you know, I am loving all of the folks um, within my Elevate education crew. So they're the publishers of my book, 40 Ways to Inject Creativity into Your Classroom with Adobe Spark that I wrote with Ben Forda. And they have just been so fun, the Merrills and Holly Clark. Um, and they have some new books and just it's been really fun to be within that that group of Elevate authors and, and watching what they've been posting on Instagram and, and all sorts of things, celebrating some of their new work. It's time for the final word. Monica, what would you like to say to close out this podcast? So right now, 
there's so many unknowns for the upcoming school year and whether you are already started or in the midst of getting ready or you've still see it out, you know, on the horizon with lots of changes, I really am just sending my best to everyone who is is tackling these pieces and and trying to do their very best, right, with all of the best intentions, and I really hope that anyone listening today is trying to keep things simple, especially when there are so many unknowns, right? We can only plan for what we know. We can anticipate certain things, but if you can keep things simple in these moments of unknown, focus in on some big ideas and some big commitments that you have for the upcoming school year as opposed to all of the little things that sometimes get in the way, um, that's kind of the, the, big, <laughs> the big thing I'd love to leave everyone with today. Great. Thanks for uh, closing with with those words. Monica, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. I appreciate your time. I appreciate sharing your experiences and helping us think deeper about all of these important issues. To those listening, thank you. Thank you for tuning into Diving Deep EDU. If you like this episode, subscribe, share it out, post a review on Apple Podcasts. All of those things will help get this podcast out to more people. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire. 